Well, good morning, LCM. Good morning. Today is Sunday, March 27th, 2022. And I got to tell you that your pastors are excited yeah. to share the word that we have for you this morning. The Lord has given us a glimpse of what is in our future. As a church, we are walking confidently with our heads held high, knowing that our heavenly father has lavished us with evidence of his love for us, of his purpose for our lives and testimonies that bear witness to his hand on the maturing of this church. Amen. Church, are you with us this morning? Are you ready to jump into the scripture with us this morning? Turn to John 16, verse 27, for our first passage of the morning together. Yeah, you don't have a title yet, but you will soon. It says, no, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Church, we want you to notice right off the bat the brazen confidence that our older brother Jesus comes straight out and says to his disciples, I came from the Father and entered the world. And I will leave the world and go back to him. Jesus knew where he had been. And he also knew where he was going, church. Listen to how the disciples react as they encounter a man with this kind of heightened level of security in who he is. Verse 29. Then Jesus' disciples said, now you are speaking clearly. Amen. Now you're speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things, as opposed to before, and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This, this makes us believe that you came from God. Man, isn't it great when you can plainly see what the Lord has been saying to you all along? Man, it's a great day. Because look, now, like today. You have greater clarity where you have been, church. And you know where you're going. Because look, in fact, now you have every reason to be filled with overflowing joy. Now you have every reason to be filled with overflowing joy. Because you are gaining, gaining ground in this journey. Because you are increasing in your ability to persevere. Because you are growing in character and the image of Christ is more clearly seen in you now than it is have been before. Look, to succinctly put it, clearly put it, now you have every reason for hope. Hope in what now is distinctly being revealed to you. Church, the passage that we just read, that your pastors just read to you from John 16, Honestly, it's a snapshot of the lives of the disciples and their progression in their understanding. Snapshots can be a huge source of encouragement. Somebody say snapshots. Snapshots. They are markers in time of where you have come from, and they can give you hope of where you're going. It's true. That actually leads us to the title of today's sermon, Snapshots. Say snapshots. Snapshots. Man, snapshots can be so encouraging. I mean, they can show the progress of where you've been if you're like Mrs. Carter in the back there taking pictures of the baby bump that's developing, Miss Tisdale. Man, you can see how far you've come. Of course, on the other hand. On the other hand. There are numerous snapshots yeah. that we all wished uh, were just kind of snapchats that would vanish after someone had seen them. Erasable evidence of times that you're not so proud of. That is true. We want to start off today by helping you from our own lives. Yeah. Your pastors would like to share with you some of our own personal snapshots to give you an idea of where we've come from. I'd like to show you my snapshot. So, oh, take it in. <laughs> take it in, church. 
This is Rico Suave, I mean Wade Sutherland, at 15 years old. Do we have anybody in here 15? Okay, so JoJo's age, Wade Sutherland at 15, 10th grader. And what I thought that I would do for you was show you my outstanding picture from the 10th grade year, me and all of my band nerd glory. First of all, well, first of all, I'd like to point out to you that I'm not wearing a hat of any kind. Like a chia head, the hair just kept growing straight up. You see that real pensive looking off in the distance look? I mean, I was working hard at this. Because, you know, goodness knows that when you got game, you hold a clarinet in your band uniform because that's how you go about life. <laughs> And that is not, you know, dirt on my face. That is like three months worth of growth right there. That mustache I was so stinking proud of. 15 and I could wear my mustache-ish to school. Uh, and I was proud of myself right here. I got, I got to tell you something. This is not in the notes. I, I told my wife that, that I was going to use this picture today, and she just laughed. <laughs> Why are you laughing at that? She was laughing and said, there was a reason that we didn't start falling in love until you were 20. <laughs> Savage. <laughs> but, look but look at me now. Oh, oh Lord, help me. 10th grade picture. I did want to show you while I was at it to show you another snapshot of some of my relatives. You may know this next picture. This is my uncle. This is Nacho. <laughs> and apparently I was Taco Libre. So just uh, <laughs> wanted you to have the full force of everything that I was at 15. Oh, what a wonderful snapshot. Well, it's not for Pastor Wade alone. I also have a snapshot of my own to show you guys. Pull up the next one. Yes. Yes. What a stud. Oh, yeah. So this is, this is me in the seventh grade. Uh, I look like I should be graduating college by this point. But you can tell I'm, I'm at the age of 13 because of the disproportionate size of my ice block head to the rest of my body. I spent another four years actually growing into it. But if you haven't noticed uh, uh, already in this snapshot, there is this wonderful plume of hair on the upper right-hand side. It's, uh, it's much like the same type of plumes that male birds have to attract female birds. Get all the attention of the ladies. So I'll let you know that didn't work. No. Because it was also matched by that wonderful looking stash on my face. I mean, you, you would have to pinch zoom quite a few times to actually see the evidence of it. It's as if, you know, a dead animal or a, an old caterpillar had crawled upon my upper lip or had been drinking chocolate milk and the stain was still there. And the last bit is at the very bottom on my left wrist is a watch. This was a guest watch. Yeah. I mean... That was the stuff. And, you know, if the picture was actually zoomed out a little more, you'd see my guest jeans along with my compilation of an OP shirt. I mean, I was trying to bring all the game. I just didn't know that it rained that day and there was a rain out. Well, what that watch was telling me and is still telling me is that it was time to actually shave that nasty mustache off and get a new hairdo. That's what I should have paid attention to. So overall, praise God, that's not who I am now. And in same in like form, uh, Cassidy waited until I was about 21 until she started dating me. I've got a snapshot for you guys this morning. Fortunately, it includes a couple of your pastor's wives there. So starting from right to left, you can see my beautiful wife, Sam, staring at the camera for the snapshot. You can see Sasha there in the middle, terrified. <laughs> Thankfully, those two are as beautiful as ever. Uh, you can see me 
Amen to that, Lincoln. Perfect timing, Lincoln. <laughs> Always perfect timing. You can see me on the left there. Uh, it was my wise idea in high school to, uh, you know, recreate this jumping picture and thought that it was a great idea. You can uh, even picture it today. <laughs> like that. I've got reflectors on my shoes, and I am excited and ready to go. Almost like reverse horseshoes there. <laughs> we got one more for you. Wow. Yeah! Oh, yeah. <laughs> Woo! That's a, that's a snapshot of Elder Baj there, and as you can see, he's always been a stud. Yes! I like the deep V, Bosh. That's, that's strong. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Speaking of snapshots, let's take a look at a singular snapshot from the life of Moses as we turn to Exodus chapter 4 together. Amen. Exodus chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 1. Somebody say snapshot as you're turning. Snapshot. Moses answered, what if? They do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you. See, we start off in this chapter with a question. What makes Moses ask this question? See, I think that he's remembering the snapshots of his life up to this point where he tried to save his people and he failed, where they rejected him and they did not recognize his appointed call to deliver them. He was thinking back on the snapshots of being on the backside of a desert for 40 years. See, all that Moses could see was the snapshot of evidence that he was not able to live up to being called by God. But the Lord did something very special for Moses. The Lord answers Moses' question with another question that's going to reveal a great secret for him. Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. Why did the Lord highlight the staff that was in Moses' hand? Well, it was because he was appointed to be a shepherd, a shepherd of God's people. And the Lord wanted to show him evidence of his divine appointment that would go well beyond his own insecurities and natural abilities. Imagine that memory, though. Fast forward to the other side of the Exodus for a moment. Fast forward to the other side of the Red Sea. This moment acted as a snapshot for the rest of Moses' life that he had clearly received a divine appointment. He was no longer appointing himself to the task, determining his own timing of events or assigning the location of where any of these events might occur. He had in his hand the sign of his divine appointment, proof that God had selected him for this task at this time and would lead him to each place that God had determined. Let's continue to verse 3. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So in this encounter, the Lord is affirming Moses' divine appointment. He's giving him a reminder that the Lord, the very God of Jacob, revealed himself to Moses, seeking to silence Moses' inner fears, commanding him to take it by the tail. Take that very thing that he ran from. Take that by the tail. And I will display the evidence of why you should have confidence in the call that I've given you. The very point of God revealing himself to Moses, directing him to the staff in his hand, is that it would serve as evidence to Moses that God has ordained and appointed him to deliver his people. Right. So church, we want to help you get this today. The miraculous sign of the staff turning into a snake, the miraculous transformations that occurred in the next few verses, 
namely a leprous hand being made clean and water being poured out and turned to blood. Those miraculous signs were in order for the people of Israel to know that God's divine appointment was upon Moses. We want to make this a very, very clear picture for you this morning. Let me say it again. The signs were for the people, but the staff was for the man. Come on, now. Say that again. The signs, these miraculous transformations were so that the people would know that the staff that was in Moses' hand was a sign of divine appointment. Moses' encouragement here is because he's holding the staff. What do you have in your hand, Moses? That was the sign for him, the staff in his hand. This is just like what Jesus did with his disciples in Mark chapter 6. He sent them out with only the staff of his authority in their hand. No bread, no money, nothing extra. Just go out with the staff that I have given you. And the signs and wonders that they were able to perform were so that the people would know God's divine appointment on these men. Skip down to verse 10 with us and let's continue to build together. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. Pardon your servant. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak. I will teach you what to say. Come on, guys. Right here, apparently Moses still wasn't getting it. Just yet. Moses was being myopically focused. He was on, focused on the snapshots of his own inadequacy. But like a loving father... The Lord was helping his son see the evidence of divine appointment that would be accompanied with divine help as well. Church, do you have snapshots of previous moments in your life when you maybe didn't have anything impactful to say? What about the the times where you tried and it flopped right in front of you? I got another one for you. What about a snapshot in time where you remember not being able to hear from the Lord or to be able to see his divine hand at work in that moment? I got one or two. How do you respond to that snapshot today, though? That's the question this morning. What we're saying is that looking at these past negative snapshots is not how any of us should be determining the way that we feel or what our next action should be. What we need to be focused on is the staff that is in each of our hands, church. This is what God has given us to free us from our insecurities and our fears. Watch how this continues in Moses' interaction with the Lord. Verse 13. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said... What about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, in fact. And he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. Verse 17 is an important point, but take this staff in your hand, but take this staff in your hand so you can perform the signs that were that are with it. So Moses here, he's still fixated on his failure and incompetencies, and he's couching a rebuttal in a polite refusal by saying something to the effect of you picked the wrong guy. I can't do this. Surely someone else is more qualified than I. Well, like a loving father, the Lord's nostrils then became flared. He was burning in anger. And here's why. Because his son was second-guessing him. Second-guessing him by Moses second-guessing himself. 
See what Pastor Wade said earlier. The signs will be for the people, but the staff is for the man. God is the one who put that staff in Moses' hand. God was the one that kept reminding and coming back around to that very point in verse 17. But the staff in your hand. And here's the important uh, aspect of this. Is that signs will happen occasionally. Signs don't happen back to back, second by second, end to end. They happen when God ordains them to happen. But the one thing that never changed and that is always within your grasp is the very staff that you possess at all times. If you are anointed, you are anointed. He anointed you as his servant. That anointing doesn't come and go based on the quality of the way that you feel about yourself. It all resides in the confidence of what he has already given you. So. I'm reading this about Moses. And oh my Lord, how many times have I done what he's done? I. The Lord clearly, clearly spoke to me in 1994 of what he designed me to be. The very staff in my hands was given in that moment. However, in recent months, I've been second guessing God with the same type of rebuttals that Moses did back to the Lord. I do this each time I think that the divinely appointed position he has assigned to me is too difficult for me. And I have those inner thoughts and even outer expressions of, you know, look at all my failures. Look how many times. Look at all the snapshots of how I've gotten this wrong. Look, here are all the images of my incompetency. I can't speak well, blah, 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 blah. Somebody else needs to occupy the seat of authority that has my name written on it by the very hand of God. That sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? it does. I hear the words God spoken to Moses now being spoken to me. Matt, what is in your hand? That's right, son, a staff. My sign of divine appointment that didn't originate with you, it's not empowered by you, nor will be fulfilled by just you. Grab that serpent of faithless speech by the tail, and I'll show you that staff that's in your hand. I'll show you that I'm with you, and through you, I will perform my wonders and my signs. Amen. Church, don't miss the point that God knew well in advance what Moses would need to overcome his own faithlessness that we call insecurities or internal confusion. See, God knew exactly what he would need in order to fulfill the divine appointment that was on him. God appointed him a brother, his brother Aaron, long before the moment arrived and had already sent Aaron in response to what Moses needed before he knew that he needed him. See, the correction and encouragement from God to Moses and for every member of this church today is the fact that it is to use the staff that is already in your hand. Amen. Use what you have in your hand because it is the sign of divine appointment. Now, I don't know if you caught that in pastor's truthful speech here in the last few minutes. This came and his appointment, the staff that was in his hand, is from 1994. That puts him as a senior in high school when the revelation of divine appointment came to him. Church, can you relate to the fact that knowing where you're going sometimes can produce a little uh, what might be known as performance anxiety inside of you? This reminds us of another man who struggled with performance and trying to get things right all by himself. We're going to take a look at a snapshot of Jacob. Here we have a slide. We have given you some snapshots of Jacob here. In Genesis 25 and verse 27, it said the boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country. While Jacob was a quiet man, staying among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Somebody say mama's boy. Mama's boy. See, Jacob here is uh, quiet. Not, not much of a man. Let me stay where, inside where it's air conditioned. I don't want to actually get too sweaty and go outside. I don't like some of those manly things. And his father loves his brother way more than he loves Jacob. This is a snapshot of Jacob. 
Look at our second snapshot of Jacob from Genesis 27, 19. Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. Uh-oh. Is that true? No. no. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Whoa, the second snapshot of Jacob is that he lied to his father's face. Continues. Genesis 27, 22. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for the hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he blessed him. Are you really my son Esau, he asked. I am, he replied. So this is now the second time that Jacob has lied, which makes him a lying liar. <laughs> Genesis 27, 41 says Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are almost over. They are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Man, what kind of snapshot are we getting of Jacob here? He's got a brother that wants to kill him. Genesis 29, 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. Imagine seeing that kind of snapshot into your own family. Jacob hasn't discipled one of his wives very well, has he? In fact, he's probably been showering her with Nabal traits instead of speaking life into her so that she can be an accurate reflection of that life. Look at chapter 31, verse 19. When Laban had gone to shear his sheep, Rachel stole her father's household gods. Moreover, Jacob deceived Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him he was running away. So he fled with all he had, and crossing the river, he headed for the hill country of Gilead. So Jacob ran away from responsibilities instead of being transparent and handle it like a man of God face-to-face with Laban. Come on, we want to put these snapshots for you in a way that you can see them on the next slide. We're talking about snapshots of Jacob. He was a man who lacked masculinity. He had daddy issues. He was a mama's boy. He was a liar. He was a lying liar. His brother wanted to kill him. He had shalom issues and was a poor pastor of his wife. And he ran away from responsibilities. These are snapshots of Jacob. So those are the first six snapshots that we have from Jacob's life. We want to show you a seventh one. It comes from Genesis chapter 32. We're going to start in verse 9, and guys, this is not very good. We're going to tell you right off the bat. We're also going to tell you right off the bat that this one was the one that hit your pastors the most this week. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who sent said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mother with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper And will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. Can't you see in this passage that Jacob is wrestling with the thoughts in his own mind? He's actually praying to the Lord, but wrestling with his own thoughts while he's praying. He starts out with this prayer, which is a good thing. And he recounts what God had originally said to him. We're on the right track. But also, he recognizes the division in his own camp. He's actually created two camps, and this was created out of fear, fear that what God said wouldn't come true unless he protected himself, fear that if he didn't make this alteration, his performance would be seen as imperfect in some way. What additionally becomes clear in this prayer is Jacob's very cry for help. In the passage, he said, save me from the hand of my brother Esau. He's in full recognition that he is actually afraid. He's being honest and transparent with God. And then follows it with another recounting of what God has already said to him. 
the promise of God's prosperity that would triumph over his own imperfection. Jacob's prayer sounds very double-minded. And the internal fear of performance that is waging war with God's divine appointment and ability to preserve his life. Church, I have to be very honest with you. I have been Jacob this week. Church, I've been Jacob in this passage this week. I appreciate y'all's honesty, pastors. But I think more so, I have been Jacob this week. I think, maybe. No, definitely not. Maybe so. Help me, guys. <laughs> Speaking of being double-minded, let's turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, and we're going to look at verse 113. Somebody say snapshots as you're turning there. Psalm 119, 113. This is in the section designated as Psalmic. 113 says, I hate double-minded men, but I love your law. Hey, have no fear, church. As I was reading this passage this week, I was not thinking about you. I wasn't thinking about the other pastors. I was hit right between the eyes about this passage, and I started thinking about me and my own double-minded nature. Verse 114 goes on to say, you are my refuge and my shield. Yeah. I have put my hope in your word. Amen. Church, the truth is, is this week, like Jacob, I've created two camps within my own thoughts, within my own feelings. I wildly vacillate between thoughts and feelings in one moment, just like Jacob, remembering what God has said. And in the next moment, being overwhelmed by my own feelings of unworthiness to receive the kindness and goodness that God has presented to me. I wildly, quickly, vacillate from on one hand being afraid that I will be able that I will fail to be able to perform well enough let's be honest I'm not afraid that I won't perform well enough I'm afraid that I won't perform perfectly enough to be able to find victory you want to talk about performance anxiety and then on the other hand immediately almost remembering the call and divine appointment on my life and all with no middle ground it's not like I'm walking from this position and I slowly move over here. The double-minded nature causes me to wildly, like a breaker switch, it's just either on or off. And I'm either faithful or I'm thinking about my own lack of ability to be able to perform. Church, it is this vacillation that is proof of my own double-minded state. It was like the Lord was showing me snapshots this week of how I vacillate. I am full of confidence. I've gone through my remembers. I can list things that, got, that I can now do that I couldn't do a year ago. I couldn't do six months ago. I couldn't do two weeks ago. I know that he's with me. Pow, other side, and I am faithless. I'm indecisive. I, I'm anxious. I'm walking around with anxiety as I'm driving around town, and I don't even know why. I've grown, I've grown accustomed to taking refuge in my own performance. I have grown accustomed to shielding myself from correction because of what that would mean about me and my lack of perfection. I have shielded myself by having hope in my own performance. And just as clearly as the Lord showed this to me this week about myself. Can you see why Psalm 119, 113 became an important verse for me this week? Yes. I hate the double-mindedness of my own self. But as clearly as the Lord showed me this, he also demonstrated with equal clarity the solution to my performance anxiety. Amen. He showed me how to purify my own heart from the double-mindedness that I actually dwell in. The answer, church, is I need to come near him. Yeah. See, the difference between being double-minded and holding on to the tension of two truths is when I'm double-minded, I'm just doing one or the other. I can't look accurately at my own state or I get overwhelmed, and then I flip the switch. 
But what God was saying is, as you come close to me, I will allow you to see both things accurately. You're not going to be vacillating, like being tossed to and fro in the waves. You are going to be able to see where you really are and to remember my divine promises and my ability to get you where I've called you to go. See, that vacillation has been proof of my double-mindedness. But he gave me the answer, which is to draw close to him and have the proximity of his presence. Amen. Church, there are real obstacles in every Christian's life. Especially when you're learning how to properly and consistently deal with these obstacles. Some of those look like family sickness. Somebody say amen to that this week. Amen. <laughs> Some of those look like little sleep. Being busy for extended periods. Not feeling clear and all the way there. Or even deaths in your family. You know, the Adeginas have been experiencing all of these in the last week or two. And that's to be expected, church. Although I personally have found myself living in a double-minded stupor through them. This has manifested itself in my own perspective. As very high highs and very low lows during my week. I can point mostly to the negative snapshots in the past few weeks. Anybody can relate to that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but this highlights the real problem in me. The fact that I am not choosing to live and dwell in the security that his staff is indeed still in my hand. Yeah. Listen to how James 4.8 puts it. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. The problem is not that I have been experiencing difficulties. That is expected in a Christian's life. The problem is not that I have not been on my A-game, even on my A-game neurologically speaking. In fact, I hear the words of the Lord to Moses, slightly modified and given right back to me. Who gave man his mind? Is it not I, the Lord? Amen. The problem is not even that double-minded thoughts have entered into my mind. The problem is that I allow these double-minded thoughts to remain. And I have not allowed my own heart, and I have allowed my own heart to be corrupted by them. I need to purify my heart from this corrupted perspective. Church, the Lord has given you his staff of authority. But he hasn't given it to you only to take it away from you during the times when you don't feel called or you don't feel anointed. Church, he's given you his staff and it hasn't gone anywhere. It is still in your hand. Look down at it. Grab a hold of it and use it. Come on, is, it, is that striking you guys? That whole feeling of it's a performance-based authority and staff in your hand. Well, God is solidifying in our hearts and minds that it is not a performance-based. It's a divine appointment that's sitting in your hands. And it's him that's going to be fulfilling it through you. So look, church, the word says, come near to God and he will come near to you. It's just like what Pastor Wade read to us in Psalm 119 verse 114. in being that you are my refuge. We have that ability to come close in proximity to our God. So turn with me to Genesis 35, and we're going to pick up with verse 1. Say snapshots as you turn. Then God said to Jacob, go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So what is God doing here? He's giving Jacob direction through his time of double-mindedness. He is leading him with specific instructions to go and build an altar there. Go and build a continual reminder of how the Lord was with Jacob, sheltering Jacob, being a refuge for Jacob when Jacob was afraid and trying to flee from his brother. What this did for him was open his eyes to see what he had already possessed, what was already in his hand, a close proximity to his God. 
This close proximity is what enabled Jacob to clearly see now what he couldn't see before, that he was divinely appointed by God. And there was no reason for performance anxiety because God had been with him the entire time. What this resulted in Jacob is that it caused a revival inside of him. It caused an awakening. It enabled him to see the very areas of his life and household that needed the purification required to get rid of double-mindedness. Now look at verse 2. It says, So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Get rid of the foreign gods you have with you. And purify yourself and change your clothes. See, the getting rid of this double-minded, performance-based nature, him being close to God, added new clarity to Jacob. And with this new clarity, he begins to set his entire household Amen. in order. Not from a place of trying to have a perfect performance, but he's doing this in response to the God who's been close to him yeah. the entire time. He begins by getting rid of and burying forever all of the idolatry within himself and within every member of his household. He purifies his own heart of double-mindedness and is able to begin the process to purge the same double-mindedness out of his family. He then can demand from everyone in his household to put on the deeds of righteousness in preparation to progress in the divine direction that comes to those who are divinely appointed. Amen. Listen to verse 3. Then come, let us go up to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and... Who has been with me wherever I have gone? Amen. The reason why Jacob did exactly what he did is because the re revelation of God being with him and his staff in his hand was being revived and renewed in him in that moment. And now, with the staff in his hand, walking in the full assurance of his divine appointment, Jacob has rid himself of the pride of performance. He has purified himself and his household by his proximity to his God. Jacob now is able to move forward in obedience, building an altar to God, which will serve as a snapshot of supernatural evidence, displaying how God has been with him wherever he has gone. Church, speaking of this supernatural evidence, of a divine appointment in proximity, I can't help. But think of God's miraculous validation to Aaron. That happened in Numbers chapter 17. I'll say snapshots as you turn to number 17. Snapshots. We're going to pick up in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and get 12 staffs from them. One from the leader of each of their ancestral tribes. Write the name of each man on his staff. On the staff of Levi, write Aaron's name. For there must be one staff for the head of each ancestral tribe. Place them in the tent of meeting, in front of the Ark of the Covenant law, where I meet with you. The staff belonging to the man I choose will sprout. And I will rid myself of this constant grumbling against you by the Israelites. Look, God was looking for men who were appointed from each ancestral tribe in Israel, asking, demanding one staff for each of them to be represented. These staffs would be put in close proximity to the presence of God in the tent of meeting in front of the very Ark of the Covenant. Then God would show his divine appointment by giving miraculous validation to the staff of the man he would choose through the process of supernatural sprouting. We want to help you get these principles that God has been working in our hearts about this week. So we put it on a slide for you. We want to give you a snapshot of what we're talking about. That staff in your hand. Say the staff in my hand. 
The staff in my hand is supposed to be a sign of his divine appointment to you. That staff in your hand is a reminder. It's an access point where you have and are able to have proximity to his presence. That staff in your hand is going to show you and be able to prove to you with miraculous validation that God is with you, that he's been with you the entire time, and that his staff in the hand is the sign for you to be able to have confidence supernatural strength, encouragement, and the joy needed to walk forward in exactly what God has for you. So all three, three of these processes working together would actually be a sign to the rebellious. And it would put an end to all grumbling. Guys, let's continue reading in verse 6. This is incredible. You're going to love this. So Moses spoke to the Israelites, and their leaders gave him 12 staffs. One for the leader of each of their ancestral tribes, and Aaron's staff was among them. Moses placed the staffs before the Lord in the tent of the covenant law. The next day, Moses entered the tent and saw that Aaron's staff, which represented the tribe of Levi, had not only sprouted, but had budded, blossomed, and even produced almonds. Amen. Whoa! Amen. Way more than we asked for or imagined. Then Moses brought out all the staffs from the Lord's presence to all the Israelites. They looked at them, and each of the leaders took his own staff. The Lord said to Moses, Put back Aaron's staff in front of the Ark of the Covenant Law, to be kept as a sign to the rebellious. This will put an end to their grumbling against me, so that they will not die. Church, there's nothing like grumbling around you, right? When you hear that grumbling around you, isn't your first um, inclination just to try to stomp it with raising your voice or exerting your own authority? What about the staff of God that is in your hand? What about the security that comes from knowing, no, we're called by God. I have his staff. It hasn't gone anywhere. Guys, that destroys your own grumbling and the grumbling all around you. It's the cure for the problem. Clearly seeing that you are appointed by God in close proximity to his presence and having proof of miraculous validations in your life is the means to rid yourself, even yourself of the inner rebellion and the soul grumbling that all too often rears its head. Clearly seeing that you are appointed by God in close proximity to his presence and have proof of miraculous validations in your life is also means to rid yourself of that double-minded kind of thinking. It brings purification and the security that you and I both need in our lives. Amen. Look, we shared with you guys uh, earlier some negative snapshots for the lives of Moses and Jacob. And at this point in our message, we'd like to show you a completely different perspective. A different pers perspective in the lives of these godly men and the way they lived because the divinely appointed staff that God had placed in their hands is the ability for us to see the positive snapshots. Let's pull up the next slide. The first one is regarding Moses in Exodus 33, 11. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face. Wow. Face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. But his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses spoke face to face with God because he had a friendship with God. And even as good as that can be, he had a young disciple that he raised up. And that disciple was more hungry for friendship with the Lord than even Moses was. He did not leave the tent even after Moses was gone from it. Look at the next snapshot. It's in Exodus 34, 28. Moses was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights without eating bread or drinking water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Church, Moses spent 40 days and 40 nights together with the Lord. And the Lord supernaturally enabled him to not have to eat or drink anything during this time. Yeah. Our next two are positive snapshots, snapshots from Jacob's life. Genesis 32, 27. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Oh, he told the truth that time. <laughs> then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Man, even better. Because you have struggled with God and with men yeah. and have overcome. Mm. 
Jacob had a real-life struggle with a man who represented God, and he did not stop fighting and struggling until he overcame. Amen. Look, one more for Jacob is Genesis 46, 2 through 4. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father. He said, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. Look, Jacob had a visit from the Lord, strengthening him about his next step of obedience, encouraging him that the Lord would make him into a great nation there, and comforting him that his beloved son, Joseph, would be there when he took his very last breath. We wanted to also give you some positive snapshots of Aaron. In number 16, verse 47, it says, So Aaron did as Moses said and ran into the midst of the assembly. The plague had already started among the people, but Aaron offered the incense and made atonement for them. He stood between the living and the dead, and the plague stopped. This snapshot into Aaron's life shows him in a great moment of faith as a priest of God both representing God to the people and God's people back to him. And the great plague against the people was stopped because of it. Our last positive snapshot of Aaron is Exodus 40, verse 12. Bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance to the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Then dress Aaron in the sacred garments. Anoint him and consecrate him so he may serve me as priest. Bring his sons and dress them in tunics. Anoint them just as you anointed their father, so they may serve me as priests. Their anointing will be to a priesthood that will continue for all generations to come. Aaron was brought to the tent of meeting, but it wasn't just him. He was brought together with his sons, and all of them together were dressed, together were anointed, together were consecrated to serve the Most High God. And that generational ministry would last and stand the test of time. Yes, it would. Oh, look, we have a seventh positive snapshot for you guys. And by far, I'm excited about this one more than any of the others. So, Revelation chapter 2, verse 26. LCM, this one is for you. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I received authority from my father. You know what this is? This is a snapshot of us, LCM. Did you hear that prophecy during worship this morning? That's what it was, and none of us knew what was going to happen this morning, but God confirmed it to us. Yes, he did. We will be those victorious saints who complete their race and the will of God to the end. We will be the ones receiving the reward of authority over the nations, ruling with an iron scepter, ruling with a staff in our hands that is filled with the divine authority of God, seeing the appointment of it. One that is filled with the power of his presence, and it displays miraculous validation by dashing satanic powers to pieces. Come on now. Church, as we get ready to close here, turn with us to Hebrews 11. And verse 21, Hebrews eleven twenty-one, 21, and you're going to see something beautiful as we culminate this thought. Hebrews eleven twenty-one 21 says, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Yeah, he did. See, all the way to the point where Jacob was dying. At the very end of his life, guess what he was still leaning on? Oh, yeah, that's right. He was leaning on the staff of authority that God had given to him. Come on now, church. I don't know about you. Have you ever had thoughts that you might not finish this race in the kingdom? See, we charge you this morning like we have been charging one another. Purify your thoughts and your hearts and trust. Somebody say trust. 
Trust. Trust in the staff that God has placed in your hand. Amen. This is how Jacob finished well. And this is how you will finish well too. He got to lean on the top of his staff and bless each of his grandsons as the last act of faith and obedience here on this earth. We want that for ourselves and we want that for you, LCM. Church, since we're in Hebrews eleven twenty one, and since we're speaking about it, what did this last blessing of Jacob's actually sound like? What did he say? Glad that you asked. Let's turn to Genesis 48, verse 15, and hear what he actually said in this blessing as he leaned on the top of his staff. It says, then he blessed Joseph and said, may the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly upon the earth. Jacob leaning on his staff of divine appointment while he prophesied this blessing to his grandsons. And this blessing is so beautiful because he could, he could have given snapshots of anything. And he pointed back to God who has been my shepherd. Yeah. To the one who had been close to him, in perfect proximity to him, shepherding him, leading him, helping him. The one who had given him his shepherd staff of authority all his life, even up to his final day. Amen. And what's more? is that Jacob is calling upon the miraculous validation of supernatural deliverance to continue to work even through his generations. Church Jacob got it. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers. May they increase just as I have increased in my generation. Amen. That's a snapshot of someone who's leaning on the staff of divine appointment. Amen. Someone who's leaning on being in proximity to his shepherd. Someone who is leaning on the miraculous validation and who is also leaning in so that this secure walk of, of confidence would be passed on to his generations. Amen. Look, we want you to walk away this morning with the unwavering security of knowing that like Moses, who learned to lean on the staff of God in his hand, LCM, you are developing a friendship with God that will grow closer and closer. Amen. He wants to draw near to you as you draw near to him. And the promise is that he will meet with you. He will meet with you in a supernatural display of his empowerment for the benefit of those that he's put around you. Church like Jacob, who learned to lean on the staff of God in his hand, you are learning to struggle with God and with men, even with your own present difficulties, and you are learning how to overcome the Lord will be with you as you pursue the next great steps of faith for his kingdom. Amen. Like Aaron, who learned to lean on the staff of God in his hand. You are developing into a priesthood who confidently stands between the living and the dead. Even sometimes between your King Jesus and the family he's given to you. And to faithfully minister before them both. Amen. Growing in yeah. the security that... What you are fighting for now, it is absolutely going to pave the way for your next generations to walk in the same priesthood that you have been walking in. Amen. Church, stand to your feet with us. We want to tell you that the staff in your hand is the sign of divine appointment. That the staff in your hand is the sign of your closeness and proximity to his presence. That the staff in your hand is the sign of your miraculous validity of the call of God upon your life. So what are we going to do? Here's a direction we want to give you guys. We're going to lean on the staff in our hands. And we're going to lean into the relationships that we have with each other to accomplish God's will. Let's all grab the hands of the ones that are next to us. Collectively, as one body, as one family, 
We are going to do this together. As we lean in to our relationships and lean on what God has given us, we're going to lean into encouraging each other with the evidence of the other person's divine appointment. That's a direction for us starting today. We're going to lean into building each other up with the proof of their proximity to God's throne. When you hear any kind of double-minded speech, say, no, 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 grab my hand, brother. Grab my hand, sister. I know how close you are to God. Let me pray with you. Let me pray over you. We're going to celebrate the fact that we can stand at his throne. Lastly, we're going to lean into lifting each other to greater heights by bearing witness to one another of the miraculous validations that we see in them. Oh no, I look in your eyes. I have seen your life. I've seen the transformation that's not only happened years ago, but it happened yesterday. I see the power that resides within your hands to heal. I've heard the words that you have spoken. God's supernatural ability is on you and I wanna grab you by the hand, lead into this relationship and lift you to greater heights. Father, we feel your affirmation in this place this morning, Lord. Father, we thank you for the hands of the men and the women on our left and right, mighty God. We thank you for the staff that you have placed in them, mighty King. We thank you for the security, Lord, for the affirmation of walking with you, mighty God. Today we acknowledge that you have always been with us, Lord, and you are with us now. Father, we cannot wait for the days to come, mighty God, where, Lord, the last days of our life, Lord, we will still be leading on your staff and leading into your body, mighty God. We 